I'd like to say something that's been on my mind for about a month now, and I'm curious if the listeners here agree. This has been a garbage season of college football. Now, don't overreact quite yet. I love college football, and I will be sad when the season is over. But in comparison to other years, this season has really been a downer. Consider what have been the three biggest storylines this year, and tell me if you think it's a sign of a fun and healthy college football season. One, Urban Meyer covered up alleged spousal abuse at Ohio State, and the investigation and his suspension were the A-topic leading up to the season. Two, a player at Maryland died in off-season conditioning, leading to the suspension of head coach DJ Durkin. When the Terps administration decided to keep Durkin after an investigation, the disturbing story became the A-topic in college football in the middle of October when the season is really supposed to be heating up. The administration decided to fire Durkin 24, 24 hours later after swift public backlash. And number three, the main storyline on the field this season is how Alabama, a program people are already tired of being at the top, is now so good with the emergence of Tua Tagovailoa that the rest of the season is just a formality until we can crown the Crimson Tide as national champions for the sixth time in 10 years. And that conventional wisdom is probably correct, however depressing that might be. Seemingly, every serious conversation about college football this season has been about two really tragic and sad instances that happened off the field. And when we finally do transition to the field, it's all about the dominance of Alabama and Tua. I'm not done. The quality of football this season has also been trash. We live in a world where I'm not sure LSU is even better than Iowa State, and they're ranked 7th in the country. Outside of Alabama and Georgia, the entire SEC couldn't coordinate their offenses out of a wet paper bag, and yet obviously flawed teams like Kentucky, Auburn, Florida, Mississippi State, and the aforementioned Tigers are propped up as incredibly impressive wins for resume building based solely off these teams beating each other while they're artificially ranked high by preseason polls. Meanwhile, the ACC is as bad as it's ever been, but teams like Syracuse, Boston College, and North Carolina State are rewarded for racking up wins against atrocious teams in unimpressive fashion and given a high ranking just because there's no one else to fill those spots. Miami is nowhere near preseason expectations, and Mark Richt is starting to take on water. Florida State made the worst hire of the offseason in tabbing Willie Taggart as their head coach, and Clemson is routinely beating everyone in that conference by a million. The Big Ten West, in all likelihood, is going to send 5-4 and four Northwestern to Indianapolis as a sacrificial lamb to lose for a second time to a Michigan team that is one of the most boring watches in the country and has played in a myriad of ugly football games this season. Most recently, over a Penn State team that returned their entire offensive line and veteran quarterback, but looks like one of the worst coached teams in America without Joe Moorhead. This is in addition to another Michigan State team that can't complete forward passes, and a Wisconsin team that finally picks 2018 to remember they don't have a lot of talented players and shouldn't be able to compete at a high level against the Power Five like they have done recently. And what can only be an effort to generate interesting stories, there's still members of the media that are unironically arguing that Central Florida should be granted a spot at the big boys' table despite playing the easiest schedule in America and giving up 700 yards to Temple. And all you need to know about the Pac-12 is that Washington State and Utah are, are your division leaders. That's not even to mention what has happened to our Crimson and Cream this year. Rodney Anderson tore his ACL in the first quarter of Game 2. 
The Sooners have played in one nationally relevant game this season and lost to their bitter rivals. Kyler Murray has literally been better than Baker Mayfield this season, but because he's playing pro baseball and Tua Tagovailoa exists, he doesn't get the headlines that would usually be bestowed upon someone performing like him. And Mike Stoops was finally fired after a crazy two and a half seasons of bad defense, but it came in a loss that in all likelihood is going to keep the Sooners out of the playoff. I love college football. I think it's the most interesting and passionate sport on earth. But this season has not produced the best of college football. It's still better than virtually everything, but the product this season on a national level has just been bad. Going forward, I suppose anything can happen. Let's hope this season can find its stride over the last three weeks of the regular season and provide the country with a thrilling conclusion. Consider this my official attempt to reverse jinx the college football season. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Play fake to P. Ryan. Baker Mayfield with time. This is where he's devastating, and so is this guy. D.D. for yet another T.D. We go back a couple of years ago to Bedlam 2016. D.D. Westbrook's 69-yard touchdown catch and run gave Oklahoma a 7-3 early second quarter lead over Oklahoma State. The Sooners went on to win 38-20 on what was a wet and cold Saturday afternoon in Norman, Oklahoma. What's up, everybody? It's Bedlam week. This year's matchup is not quite as high profile as it was a season ago in Stillwater. Sure, the Sooners still have everything to play for, and the Cowboys do not. Which is potentially dangerous for Oklahoma, though. Oklahoma State wants to ruin the Sooner season, no doubt about it. Before we jump into football talk, if you have not done so yet, please subscribe to West of Everest on iTunes. If you've got a moment, feel free to leave us a rating and or a review. Those five-star ratings help us in the iTunes rankings. Like the show on Facebook. When you do that, you'll be able to interact with Grant and I on Facebook and send us messages. We'll actually go over a couple listener messages today on the show. Follow Grant on Twitter at GrantBenson25. Follow me, if you'd like, at LeeBensonNews9. And our email address, westofeverest at gmail.com. Let's bring in Grant. Uh, Grant, uh, I, that's quite the, the opening take. I think you crammed the entire college football season into, I don't know, a couple, three, four, maybe probably five minutes there. Um, you asked me off air if, I, or if you missed anything. And nothing is jumping, you know, to me right away. I all the off the field stuff, you know, was super annoying, and we, it was one of those things where, was, yeah, we're talking about this stuff because yeah, the Urban Meyer thing was a big story, but it's like let's just please get to the start of the football season so we can just talk about real football games. And then once we get to the season, then all of a sudden, then there's the Maryland stuff and the, which I know that was preseason as well, but then it got brought up yet again when Durkin was reinstated and then fired. So yeah, and then not to mention. Uh, just the on-field stuff. I know we talked about Alabama a few weeks ago or a couple weeks ago if it was good or bad for college football, and I didn't have a very good argument. Now that you know, I look back at it, my argument was not very sound. I think it's bad for college football, but I will admit that I don't have very good reasons why other than it's just annoying to see them always win. And uh, so here we go. There we are. I mean, I, I like the way you talked about the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the ACC. I think everything you said is is true for the most part. And um, 
maybe, uh, like, like kind of you said at the very end of it, maybe we'll see some different things the rest of the uh, regular season as we get into the uh, the bowl season, which will come up here in about a month. So anyways, after, after all of that, how's it going? Yeah, it's pretty good. Just kind of felt like I needed to get a little bit off my chest there just because this has been a um, – not only has it just – it's been I, – I think everyone feels the same way on the OU side, right? I mean, this season just feels weird, doesn't it? I mean, they still have everything to play for, but something just, just, just still feels off. It really does, and, and I and I, I was trying to to nail it down um, because I feel like it, it's been that way on a national scene as well. There just hasn't been that many weeks this year where there's marquee matchups. Um, this is the second week of November. This is an awful week for matchups. There are just really no good matchups at all this week. I mean, game day is going uh, to Boston College to watch Clemson beat BC by five touchdowns. Um, just a really... <laughs> I, uh, just a really odd season. There's a lot of uh, unequitable scheduling going on. A lot of teams who have played just joke schedules in Power Five conferences. A lot of teams, I think, that have really kind of gotten the the, the scheduling trick down pat. Just playing a bunch of patsies in the non-conference and kind of build up your resume a little bit and not get any better when you go into you know into conference play. And uh, I think that's what you're seeing a lot in the ACC this year. Um, with teams like Syracuse, they were the ones that I mentioned, Syracuse, North Carolina state, Boston college Lee, th- those, those aren't even top 30 teams in the country that I, they're that, all, all three of those teams are, I don't even think are really near as good as, as the top five teams in the big 12. Um, it's just, it's just, it's just a frustrating season altogether, you know, Alabama as well. And, um, just the off the field stuff overshadowing everything. And I, I do want to revisit that a little bit. I'm not saying, you know, don't cover those stories. Those are the stories. Yeah, I think those have to be covered. Those are big stories. It's just, um, it's, it's unfortunate that they happened and that they, they took up so much uh, of kind of the airspace as I, I think all of us would prefer to just be watching college football and having fun watching college football. And there's just been something about it this year that just hasn't been that, it hasn't been that fun. Um, I think just off the top of my head, I, we have, we've had one kind of like, uh, um, landscape shifting upset it was Purdue beating the crap out of Ohio State a few weeks ago uh and really that's that's been it that's been really the only domino that's fallen this year it's been kind of boring let's see God, a couple of things what was I going to say uh, first off let's just uh, I, I put this on Facebook earlier today whenever I I saw or heard your opening take, and I thought, okay, let's get some view, some viewer, some listener interaction to see if they also think that it's been a terrible college football season or if they disagree and they love it. And we have a couple of replies on Facebook. Hunter says, college football is always a good time of year. <laughs> and then he put a gift from the water boy of slap hands, slap hands with um, Adam Sandler and Bobby Boucher. And, yeah, I mean, Hunter's correct. College football is always great. It's just we're – it's – there's things to point out that have not been great. And then Chase also comes in and, and is more in agreement with you, Grant. Chase says, yeah, the season has been very subpar. I think Alabama being the team that they are puts an automatic asterisk on every other team's season. Even if a team goes unbeaten, I can't imagine Alabama not being favored by two touchdowns. I know that we've been saying all year that the Oklahoma defense only needs three stops and the Oklahoma offense will win us the game. I think our defense got a seven or eight stops last week, and we still only won by five points. Probably me just nitpicking, but it's good for conversation. Yeah, against an Alabama team, Chase, and I, I think you're acknowledging that, uh, Oklahoma would definitely need more than just three stops to 
to compete with an Alabama. There's no yeah, doubt, they would, doubt, doubt about that. Yeah, they, they'd probably need to. It it'd need to be something like they need to force three punts. They'd probably need to turn them over three or four times as well. And uh, oh, I remember the other thing I was going to say. That NC State West Virginia game that never happened. You talking about the ACC playing garbage schedules? We kind of brushed over it or kind of brushed it aside when it didn't happen back in September. But now it'd be great to have that as a barometer of how good NC State is because NC State's probably the second best team in the entire ACC, and Clemson beat them pretty easily. I mean, they're the second or third best team, I'd say. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't so, even know who the. I, I guess if you put a gun to my head right now, I'd probably say Syracuse is the second best team in the ACC. But I mean, they're they're not a good team. I, okay. And it's just too bad that Syracuse could not take advantage of Clemson's quarterback woes in that one game and, and beat Clemson. And just they'd already have that one loss. And now, fast forward to now, and it's Clemson's probably not going to lose a, a game this year until the until the playoff potentially. No, I don't think no <laughs> one's gonna no one's gonna touch them. I, I just it's the, the the quality past kind of the top seven or eight teams is just is just not there this season. I think in kind of in, in the tier past. Uh, like the the OUs and the the Ohio States and the West Virginias of the world, I think there's teams in there that that can kind of on a good day can beat anyone. Uh, that's how LSU I think has seven wins this year. Um, but really for the most part, I mean past that tier, Lee, there's just there's just not a lot of good teams in college football this year. The 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 quality of play this year has has just really taken a step back. I feel like. All right, let's close the book on the OU Texas Tech game. And by that, I'm uh, what I mean by that is on our Facebook page, one of our listeners, Sydney, sent us a message with a video attached to it of the Cody Ford punching the guy and what happened. And and Sydney pointed out on Facebook that it looked like the Tech linebacker by the name of Tony Jones actually spit on Cody Ford during the game, which then prompted Ford to then throw that punch. So, Grant, I know you replied. I think you commented on Facebook to Sydney. Now that we're here on the podcast, now that we have this new information, or you know, you watched it back. I'm sure you probably watched a different version as well, a closer version, so you could get another look at it. What are your thoughts on this Cody Ford thing now that may, maybe it, it not? I shouldn't say maybe it. It really does look like he's he's getting spit on. What are your thoughts? Oh, he definitely got spit on. Uh, there was a there's a video going around Twitter, which is kind of the same version as the one that Sydney posted on our Facebook page. It's a little more zoomed in, and you can clearly see him spitting right in his face. Uh, you know, main takeaway is obviously that's just that's bushly garbage, and that guy should have been ejected from the game, as as should have Cody Ford for throwing a punch. And my, I mean, of course that didn't happen. It was Cody Ford that got that got flagged for it, as is usually the case. They always get the guy who retaliates. Um. But really, my main takeaway from it, Lee, was that I think it was just another example of that awful officiating crew failing to get control of the game. They were just awful. Awful, awful, awful in every respect. Yeah, I, I'd, when I watched it back at, here at work at News 9, because we have some cool technology, you can watch it back frame by frame. And uh, yeah, I, I can say with about 99% certainty that the guy spit on him. Because, uh, I mean, I suppose if there's a zoomed in version, they only got one shot from the. Uh, the television broadcast but anyways yeah it, it, that's what it looks like i mean you can kind of see some white like spit kind of up that sounds so gross anyways no, no need to break this down like this is a pruder film but yeah spitting on somebody is just like one of the most disrespectful things you can do to another human being so it's just it's not a surprise that ford threw the punch after the fact now that that we are privy to that information so you know one of the refs 
you can see is watching the entire thing unfold but the text player's back is turned to the referee so i think that when the when he was jogging by ford and then spitting i don't think the ref was able to see the spit so uh i, I i'd be willing to bet though that ford was probably yelling and angrily pleading and stuff with the ref and to his teammates and saying that dude spit on me so maybe that's why you know even though he threw the punch that the ref was like okay that's nah, probably maybe in a way that was warranted let's not kick him out of the game and do you remember remember last year in the west virginia game i, I can't remember who it was for west virginia but somebody was on top of drew samia and then spit in his face and that's when samia got kicked out of the game do you remember that yeah i remember Joe, drew samia looked so angry as he was yep. leaving the field yep yeah i just uh, i mean it just yeah. it just came to mind I, I mean that's who does that man that is bush league crap I mean, I mean, that's that's, that's that, messed up. That goes past, I think, being just a young, stupid kid. I mean, only garbage human beings do that. I, who who the hell does that? That's garbage. I'm pretty sure that dude, um, let's say his name again, is uh, Tony Jones. I'm pretty sure he's like a senior, too. So it's not like he's a dumb, young freshman kid. I think he's a upperclassman and a, a garbage human for that. That's just a weak thing to do. And yeah. I mean, the only thing that would change my mind on that is if we found out that he was retaliating because Cody Ford also spit in his face or something like that, which I find that hard to believe because we don't, first of all, we don't have any evidence of that. And from what I know, I don't think that that guy's been quoted as saying, oh, yeah, I was just doing what somebody did to me back to him. So, yeah, I guess, you know, absent any more evidence, I sure. Um, but if that, that's all I have to go on this guy, uh, if you, you spit someone, you spit in somebody's face during competition, you're, you're, you're a piece of garbage. Simple. So, yeah, we were worried about a possible suspension levied out by the Big 12 for this, but I've got to assume the Big 12 has reviewed things if it even came up to them, and they've probably seen what we have seen. So I think, you know, we record this Wednesday night, haven't heard anything about a Ford punishment or suspension, so I'd guess that he's probably safe for Bedlam this week. And I also want to just point out if 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 any player on the OU team was ever, you know, caught doing that to someone else on another team, I'd say the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because again, it's spitting on somebody is again, one of the most disrespectful things you can do to another human being. It just is. I mean, you don't do that in a civilized society. That's ridiculous. So and there's a reason why when it happens, the person getting spit on takes such so much offense to it and would lead you to throw a punch because yeah. that's because it's so disrespectful. All right. So that's the, the book being closed on tech. Let's move over to Bedlam now. And the first thing. I want to talk about, like every podcast we, we preview, we go OSU offense. Well, the opposing team's offense against Oklahoma's defense. And the first thing I want to bring up is the status of Buki. Of course, Buki didn't play against Texas Tech. So the thought process is, okay, now hopefully he can play against Oklahoma State. And looking back to Lincoln Riley's press conference, Lincoln Riley said on Monday that Buki his injury was not concussion related, so that's good news. And all Riley would give for an update was that we will see about this week. So if it's not concussion related, I, yeah, I'd, li I'd like to think that Buki's going to be good to go this week. Uh, I'm frankly surprised that he wasn't good to go last week, but uh, I know that I think Oklahoma doesn't play. They, they don't like to, they try not to play guys. I think Ruffin McNeil was quoted as saying something like they don't like to play guys if they're not healthy. And, you know, there must have been something about Buki that he wasn't just fully there to risk maybe further injury. So anyway, so I, I like to think that Buki's going to play, Grant. Do you have any feeling one way or another about Buki's availability? I mean, I was pretty confident he was going to play last week, and you know, I was really surprised when he didn't. So 
I'm a little hesitant to go out there and, and just call a shot right now just because I, know, I mean this I know. Th- this is certain I mean this is weird, isn't it? I, I don't why don't they just tell us what the injury is? I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. Which which I mean obviously I mean I think that means there's something else weird going on there. So, because what I mean, what is their motive for not telling us what's going on? Like this is this, this secrecy stuff. I think can get can go a little too far sometimes. Like I mean, what's because because now I'm starting to think maybe he was suspended for the last game. Yeah, I, who knows? Who knows? I just wanted to bring that up because he missed the game, and I, I I think Buki and I was going to say this later, but it's pretty obvious. I think the secondary for Oklahoma is better when Buki is playing in that secondary. So I. I think Oklahoma, if they're going to be at their best defensively, it's when Buki is on the field. Uh, all right, so let's talk about the Oklahoma State offense, Grant. And to me, when you look at the scores of these games, and I've watched Oklahoma State a bunch this season because what I do for work at News 9 in Oklahoma City, i got to follow Oklahoma State as well, all the, all the schools here in the state of Oklahoma. Obviously, I don't follow Oklahoma State as closely as Oklahoma. I don't have an Oklahoma State podcast that I do on the side as well. But I – I follow Oklahoma State a lot closer than any other team in the Big 12. So I've seen them play quite a bit. And, man, the offense is incredibly inconsistent this year. You look at their their schedule, and just there's four games I want to point out. They only scored 17 points at home against Texas Tech. Great game by Texas Tech. They played a complete game. And then they got Iowa State in Stillwater and put up 42 on Iowa State. And this wasn't like Texas Tech's. Uh, whatever you know how many did Texas Tech put up on Iowa State 30 something I mean this wasn't like that where they got a a special teams touchdown and a defensive touchdown I mean Oklahoma State put up 42 and Iowa State on with their offense and then in Manhattan Oklahoma State only scored 12 points against Kansas State's defense and then in Stillwater everyone listening probably remembers and saw this game Oklahoma State put up 38 on Texas so I mean this offense is incredibly inconsistent Grant any theories as to why that has been the case this year yeah, I think a lot of the stuff they do, Lee, is easy to diagnose, just not, uh, not automatically easy to stop. So one of, the, one of the things that I really noticed while watching them, Lee, is that their offense is built around Tylen Wallace and not Justin Hill, or Justice Hill. He is the focal point of their offense, uh, Tylen Wallace. So um, that, too, Lee, and I just, Taylor Cornelius just never comes off his first read, ever, which is pretty much always Tylen Wallace. Uh, so really it's all about getting pressure on Cornelius because he kind of buckles when there's pressure. Um, I, I, so I, I just, if you shut down Tylen Wallace and you get pressure on Taylor Cornelius, that offense will kind of self implode is, is kind of what I've gotten from watching them. Okay. Yeah. To me, I kind of on the same lines as you, the easy answer as to why Oklahoma state's offense can be, or not can be is inconsistent is, is because of Taylor Cornelius. I think he, He's got the capabilities to look like a pretty good college quarterback. That Texas game, I think, is a great example because he threw for 300-plus yards, three touchdowns, didn't throw a pick against a, you know, a, a pretty good Texas defense. And uh, But in games against Texas Tech and Kansas State, two defenses that are not, not very good, frankly. I know Texas Tech's defense is supposed to be better, but that still doesn't mean it's very good. It's still not a good defense. You know, Cornelius completed less than 50% of his passes in those games and had a one to three touchdown to interception ratio. So, you know, the logical follow up, you know, information you know, to this information would be, hey, you know, what does Oklahoma got to do to make Cornelius into that sub 50% completion guy this Saturday? 
And the, the, the easy, quick answer to that question I would give without providing a whole lot of details right now at this moment, I'd say the Sooners, if their defensive game plan is like it was against Texas Tech, you're likely going to get the Taylor Cornelius that looks like a pretty good college quarterback on Saturday. It's exactly what I would thought you- too. Yep. So I would um, just simplistically uh, how I would start to think about defending Oklahoma Stately, I would uh, I bracket Tylen Wallace and press him. And, and that's really about it. I, I, I really do think if you get him off his first read, I noticed especially in the Baylor game, Lee, when his first read's not there, he starts to drift in the pocket and he wants to scramble right away. Um, and also, Lee, Oklahoma State's offensive line is bad. It's, it's like really bad. They did, they, uh, their tackles were not protecting him very well, especially against Baylor. Um, he, was, he had happy feet the entire game. And also, there's, just, there's not a whole lot of running room for Justice Hill at all. So uh, what I notice about Cornelius, when he is in the pocket and he has time to throw, he's able to set his feet, he looks, he looks pretty good. He's got some arm talent. Um, where he fails is going through his progressions, looking off defenders, um, recognizing pressure. I, I do think he's a decent scrambler, but you know, a, a lot of that has to do with you know, him being a, a fairly good athlete and, and kind of a long strider. Um, he does not do well with pressure. Um, so... If you can shut down Tylen Wallace and get a little bit of pressure on Taylor Cornelius, that guy just buckles very hard, very hard. <laughs> so let me add more to to your handicap of Taylor Cornelius, and you know how do you make this guy uncomfortable? Because you're mentioning that pressure, he doesn't handle it well, and I tend to agree with that. I, the way the way to make him uncomfortable, I think, is that you got to understand what he wants to do. Because to me, I like to characterize him as he's a robot he runs the offense like a robot and like you've said already on this podcast he's a he's a one read guy it's a one read passing offense mostly a quick passing offense and when they don't throw the ball they just like to give it to justice hill or the other running back chuba hubbard a lot of rpos and And honestly some of the times it's they're not necessarily rpos it's just they like to do a lot of run action just to try to keep keep linebackers and and the secondary somewhat honest um, but what I mean by the robot part is that Cornelius seemingly always has Tylen Wallace on a timing comeback route or Tylen Wallace on an out route. You know, he knows where he wants to go with the football before even seeing the defense, it, it would look like. And I think the offense in Oklahoma State calls for these basic routes and basic principles to complete easy passes. And once they complete that first pass and drive, they'll go up tempo. They'll do a little run action, throw the ball to the other side of the field, but another comeback timing route or another out route. Then they'll, you know, they'll mix in a couple gives to Justice Hill, and then they'll take a shot down the field to keep you honest with Tylen Wallace here and there, and and you know they'll sit, they'll send one deep to Tyron Johnson. You know, a lot of again, a lot of one read plays for Taylor Cornelius, and when that first read isn't there. And again, I think you've already said this before on the pod, Grant. Taylor Cornelius is just not that good when his first read is not there. And so how does Oklahoma take advantage of all this information that that we've seen on tape, you've seen on tape? There's no question that Ruffin McNeil has seen it on tape. Heck, I'm sure Lincoln Riley's seen it on tape when he's watching Oklahoma State's offense. I'm sure he watches everything. I, how do you take advantage of all this? Well, my answer is you don't give up too much ground covering wide receivers on the outside. You know, you mentioned bracket Tylen Wallace. That's interesting. I don't know how often Oklahoma does that and really puts a lot of emphasis on one specific player. Uh, granted, we've only had Ruffin McNeil for a few games, so maybe he is more of a, a defensive coordinator that would be apt to do that. 
But if they don't, you know, you got to anticipate Wallace is going to come out of his break at eight to ten yards to catch the catch the football. You know, when you see Tyron Johnson in, in your vicinity, be more aware of him trying to stretch the field because that's what he likes to do. Don't be afraid of getting beat deep all the time. Oklahoma consistently seems like they're afraid of getting beat deep all the time. Heck, take some chances here and there with this team because they want to do the same thing over and over and over again. Cornelius has a strong arm, but sometimes he's not he's not that accurate. And especially when his timing gets thrown off because of his first read not being there. So I'd like to see Oklahoma take a couple chances this game. I wanted them to take some chances against Texas Tech. They didn't. So I I can't imagine. I, there's no reason for me to believe or for us to, to, to think that they're going to take chances in this game either. But that's what I want to see. And uh, if there's anything else, anything else about Cornelius along those lines about you know what Oklahoma can do to make him uncomfortable and, and get him into that sub 50% completion percentage guy as opposed to the good quarterback that he can be? I mean, I just really think that they, they need to heat him up. I really hope they bring pressure in this game. Because uh, they very rarely blitzed against Texas Tech, and it seemed like when they did bring a little bit of a blitz, Tech had the perfect play call for it. Yeah, in that for sure. Game. Yeah, it seems like they were they they did a really good job of. I, I also did notice Lee though, Tech caught OU in, in a blitz a lot of the time, um, in that game, kind of with, with with faking the snap count and whatnot. I saw that a lot, um, and I, mm. I think I think that was definitely part of Texas Tech's game plan. Um, and also, OU needs to do a better job of disguising their blitzes and timing their blitzes as well. I, I thought that was one of the things uh, that you can point to at the Texas Tech game and say you got to do a better job there. But Lee, I just Taylor Cornelius is just so bad under pressure that you you got it you got to send pressure his way. I I think that's the best way to go. Um, you know, of course, I mean Oklahoma State's got some guys who can hurt you. That's one of the things that I notice about watching them is that Cornelius is robotic, and, and I think they they're not incredibly inventive with a lot of the stuff that they've done. Mostly because I don't think they they're, there's they can't do as much stuff with Cornelius as they as they could with uh, with Mason Rudolph and and the like. But the, Lee, the thing I noticed is that Oklahoma State's still got some really good skill players on offense. Uh, Tylen Wallace Lee is—I'm so impressed by him. He's good. He reminds me of Sterling Shepard. He's—he's uh, a really good player. Um, yeah, he's a stud. Yeah, and, he's uh, an absolute stud, and he's—he's got—he's got a chance to be better than James Washington. Yeah, I, I just—I mean, I, I think he's, he's got to get a good quarterback. I mean, throughout his career, I mean. But Cornelius is peppering him with targets, and he's putting up numbers. He's second in the Big 12 right now in receiving. I think he's already more polished than, than James Washington. Washington in college was kind of more of a, of a one-trick pony, just kind of running deep. Uh, Wallace, his, his route tree looks pretty developed. He's a really good player. I, I'm very impressed while watching him. And it's no, it's no surprise that Oklahoma State has tailored their offense to Tylen Wallace. He's their best player. I, I think that's the smart thing to do. So, I, I mean, I think... Uh, Against Baylor, Lee, Tylen Wallace, I mean, he touched it like 15 or 16 times. Man, OSU fans would probably argue with Theory on that, considering that they probably say Justice Hill's their best player. That's wrong. Tylen Wallace is by far their best player. And that's not to say Justice Hill isn't good. He is. Uh, he's a guy who I think if, 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 he kinda, if he can squirt through and get some space, he's a guy who can run. He can definitely you know, create some explosive plays against you. I just think, you know, between the tackles and th- this Oklahoma State offensive line is just, they're, they're not great running the ball. Um, but, of course, if Justice Hill gets some room, he, he can absolutely hurt you. But I, I just, I, I think it's it's delusional to say that Tylen Wallace is not their best player. He clearly is. I I mean, 1A, 1B. I, I mean, Justice Hill's got the experience. I think, I think Hill has been kind of hurt by, uh, I, I agree, the offensive line's not, great which 
it's kind of surprising because I remember before the season, Mike Gundy was saying at Big 12 media days and in fall camp in August, he was saying that the offensive line this season for Oklahoma State was better than last year's team. And I remember thinking, man, that's a pretty bold statement. I mean, Oklahoma State had a pretty good offensive line a season ago. Well, I, I just I don't think that's the case. I don't it doesn't look that strong of a unit. It doesn't seem like it's their strength. I mean, like you could probably you can point I mean Oklahoma's offense is great. You can point to the offensive line and say that that might be the strength of their offense is the offensive line. I mean, just based on every single guy on that that unit is really good. I mean, there's not a whole lot of drop off at any spot. And uh Oklahoma State's offensive line just didn't impress me a whole lot. It hasn't impressed me a whole lot this year and it's a unit, I think, that can be had by Oklahoma's defensive line. But obviously, it's not going to matter if Oklahoma allows Oklahoma State to complete their quick throws and Cornelius gets the football out of his hands in time and gets the ball out in rhythm and timing and he, he gets going. And then it won't matter. Uh, they won't need to protect very long. I, it'll really only show up, I suppose, in the run game. You know, if, and, and That's where Justice Hill comes in. And Speaking of Justice Hill, let's transition into to talking about him in the run game. Does Oklahoma's defense grant... Uh, take uh take stopping the run a little more seriously not that they don't take it seriously to begin with but do they do they uh, want to stop the run a little bit more this week against justice hill because of that instagram post that he'll put out on monday oh god i knew you were gonna bring that up i just i i could not care less about that story at all to me this just is like for me this is already somehow like a generation below me and they're just doing weird social media stuff like i mean that was explain using a picture in a game that you lost to tr- to talk trash to your rival who your school's only beaten like 17 times in 100 years. What's even more surprising about it too, and for those of, I'm sure those are listening, I mean, you listen to podcasts, you probably are on Instagram. I mean, the podcasts are mostly consumed by younger people from what I understand, but so I'm assuming you know what Instagram is, and you, under, you probably saw the Justice Hill thing, but if not, he posted a picture of himself scoring a touchdown in last year's Bedlam game, and behind him trailing the play is Trey Norwood and Robert Barnes, and he tagged the photo, and you can like tag people in it, and normally you, I think you tag like other Instagram people, and like you know so they can be tagged in it, but what, instead of doing that, he tagged, he he wrote little boys and kids next to the OU players so taunting them basically what a stupid paragraph or sentence I just said what a dumb it's 2018 uh but yeah you brought up like they lost the game which is that's kind of like the disconnect and it's, it's surprising because Justice Hill is so soft-spoken he very rarely says a lot and so he he didn't really talk here he just posted something on Instagram but it it man it, it's pretty ballsy by him especially considering that Oklahoma State's not as good as it was a season ago. And, man, the Cowboys are are almost three full touchdown underdogs to Oklahoma this week. So, yeah, I mean, the, the Sooners were asked about it on on a Tuesday, the Sooner defensive players, and they said the right stuff. Robert Barnes just said they'll let their play do the talking on the field. Curtis Bolden said he doesn't care about Instagram or couldn't care less about what, what Justice Hill is posting. So, OU's guys said the right stuff. We'll see if they can. Not, we'll, we'll see if Justice Hill can back it up. I guess on the field on on Saturday. So I don't know, Lee. Uh, my 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 first instinct was that it was just it was such kind of a boneheaded thing to do that he must be like friends with Robert Barnes and Trey Norwood, and it was just kind of like a friendly banter thing. But then after like the interviews, I, I didn't really get that feeling at all. 
And so now I, I just go back to, I, if I was Justice Hill's teammate, I'd be kind of pissed at him. Like, I mean, it's the just thing is Justice Hill knows, knows his offensive line. He knows his O line's not as good as he'd probably like it to be. And he has had a lot of runs this season stop for like no gain or he's lost yards just because there's nowhere for him to go. And early in the season, there was a lot of complaints that he wasn't getting enough touches. And I remember Mike Gundy famously said that in a perfect world, he's only given Justice Hill something like 10 to 15 touches a game or something like that, which always sounded ridiculous. I mean, I understand that you want to keep a guy fresh and not let him take hits, but you need to get the ball in the Justice Hill's hands a lot more than that. And then after they lost, uh, I think maybe Texas Tech and it wasn't looking good, then they started feeding him the football a little bit more. But now they've mixed in Chuba Hubbard a lot more too. And uh, yeah, speaking of the running game, Chuba Hubbard, Grant, I don't know how much film you saw on him, but he's really good. Chuba Hubbard's really fast. Yeah, he's not bad. I think he's pretty good. He's he's a nice player. I mean, he, red shirt freshman, I believe. I think he was a red shirt. He's a freshman. He was a red shirt last year. I think he was a red shirt. He's good. He's big. He's a nice player. He's big. Mm-hmm. So I'm so like, he's, he's kind of like six, yeah, I mean, six so one, like, 207. Um, yeah. He's fast. I think, it, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was faster than Justice Hill. He was a track star mm-hmm. in high school. And like going back to their run game, I I was just with all the Taylor Cornelius talk, I, I, I kind of forgotten this. Um, but actually, you know, one of the bigger uh, one of the bigger risks, or you know, one of the bigger parts of Taylor Cornelius's game, like, actually comes in the run game. And I think that's actually a lot of where they get uh, that's where they get a lot of their success in the run game is, is is Taylor Cornelius keeping it on those zone reads. I didn't see it as much against Baylor. Um, he was more of a scrambler against Baylor. But Cornelius has really hurt some defenses this year, Lee, when he's kept the ball in that zone read when they really haven't expected it. I know against oh yeah uh, against Boise State that was a huge deal. Um, but yeah, he's he's added a lot of efficiency in their run game, Lee. If you if you take away sack yards. Uh, this year, Cornelius has carried it 58 times for 410 yards. That's a 7.1 yard clip a carry. I mean, he's yeah, he's a he's a lot more athletic and more mo- way more mobile than Mason Rudolph was. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's their uh, he's their most efficient runner uh, statistically. I mean, that's not to say that he's more dangerous than Justice Hill. That's that's crazy. That's he's not. Uh, but Cornelius can definitely hurt you. He, he he can pick up a first down here or there when you're not expecting it by by keeping you know that zone read. Which I mean. Admittedly, Lee, OU has had some trouble with that this year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that this, it scares me to death. I mean, Cornelius killed Texas with the zone read. I mean, he won the Texas game. I think there's he scored a touchdown on it uh, late in the game, like the base of the game-winning touchdown. And then I think there was another instance, I can't remember if it was after that or before that, where he picked up a, a, a key, I think, first down on like a fourth down play with that zone read. I mean, he... He killed Texas with his own replay because Texas sold out against the run and get stopped Justice Hill and Chuba Hubbard. And and like you said, Oklahoma has shown weaknesses against that. I mean, the dude from TCU, the backup quarterback, Michael Collins, I mean, had a couple successful zone read run plays. And I mean, that guy is not known for his legs from what I can tell. So, yeah, that's certainly something that that concerns me about. About Oklahoma's defense going into this game because you know Oklahoma State's going to see that on tape and they're going to want to try that. I mean, they're going to try it multiple times and until Oklahoma can show that that they're ready for it and they stop it and they they won't do it anymore. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because I just in case people got the vibe that maybe we were we were you know underselling Oklahoma State a little bit. I, their offense is good; it's actually really good. So uh, don't get me wrong on there. It's just that they're really inconsistent. 
when they're when they're playing well, this is probably the best offense OU has played this year, most likely. And I think a lot of it has to do with just they they got some really talented players uh, with with Wallace and Hill. Um, and w- when you remove poise from the uh, you know from the equation with Taylor Cornelius, he's, he's got a little bit of arm talent. And he can hurt you you know every now and then with his arm as long as he's as long as he keeps cleaning the pocket, which you know, with their offensive line, Lee is not always a given. Uh, I'm looking here. I like the, the the sack rate stat. And Lee, Oklahoma State's offense is 101st in the country in that. They get sacked 7.8% of the time of their dropbacks. Uh, so, okay. you know, not not good. Not great, Bob. <laughs> uh, I wonder how many people get that if you podcast. If you understood that reference... Let us know, please. That would that would really make my day slash night if, if you ever yeah. do that. Let's see. We've already talked about Tylen Wallace. That was my last note on the OSU offense and the OU defense. That's all I have. Any uh, any other thoughts or notes on on this particular matchup on Saturday? And if not, we'll move on to Oklahoma State's defense. Other than you know, this is just this is kind of a tough one to gauge because we just I have no idea which Oklahoma State we're gonna get. They've just been so inconsistent. And what in, Oklahoma defense are we going to get? Yeah. Now that we, we've seen two different types from Ruffin McNeil. Yeah, I, I have. I, I can pretty confidently say that if OU can consistently get pressure on Taylor Cornelius, he's, he's probably going to have a pretty rough game. But if that's not the case, he can, he can pick OU apart. I mean, take note of that Texas game where he didn't really get touched um, and he was able to find Tylen Wallace kind of whenever he wanted. So uh, I think that's worst case scenario for this game. We'll, we'll, we'll see if it happens. I think, you know, good news is if, if, if worst case scenario does happen on defense like that, I still think OU can win the game. Uh, but you know, we'll see what happens. I don't know. This is, uh, I'll say it one more time. I think when they're playing well and they're operating, you know, at full strength and, and, and all systems go, I think this is probably the best offense that OU has faced this year, even, you know, better than, than Tex last, last week as well. All right, let's talk about the Oklahoma State defense. Glenn Spencer, the old defensive coordinator, is, is gone. I mean, he was fired in the offseason. Jim Knowles is in, coordinated defense at Duke for many, many years. And Grant, I mean, Oklahoma State's defense to me seems about the same as before. I know Jim Knowles brought in the four two five. That was That was a big narrative in the preseason leading up to it. I know you're a big numbers guy. Did you have you looked into the numbers of Oklahoma State's defense this year? And if so, what do the numbers say about the Cowboys? Uh, per S and P, it's it's pretty much identical to last season. Uh, some of the some of the peripherals are a little different. Like this year, they they pressure the quarterback a little bit more this year than they did last year. Uh, but really, for the most part, I think last year they finished uh, in the in the seventies uh, in, in defensive S and P. And this year, right now, they're sixty seventh in defensive S and P. Um, and their peripherals really aren't great. Uh, OU is gonna is gonna do whatever they want against this defense. Uh, and, and mostly, Lee, this is another game, Lee. I think for the offensive line, they 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 should and will be able to run the ball at will if they commit to it. Lee, Oklahoma State's ninety first in rushing defense S and P. That's that's just really bad news going against OU in this offensive line. Really bad news. Yeah, I noticed last week against Baylor. Baylor's offense was moving the ball easily down the field the first two drives of the game, and this is with McClendon, the Baylor's backup quarterback, in. And uh, but they stalled out in each instance in the red zone. They threw an interception in the end zone and then missed a field goal. Uh, I guess you could give Oklahoma State credit for playing good red zone defense there. And it was a pretty low scoring game at halftime, but then both offenses really broke out in the second half. And then Baylor ended up Charlie Brewer ended up coming into the game later and 
got like a you know into the game touchdown pass and so i mean baylor's offense was able to move it pretty well against oklahoma state um i mean texas tech was able to move it pretty well against oklahoma state obviously texas sputtered at the start but then figured it out a little bit texas offense worked i mean the one game really that you can point to of Oklahoma State's defense being pretty impressive was all the way back when they played Boise State. And that was a game where I I mean, I think both of us thought Boise State was gonna win that game, not just cover the spread, but win straight up. And I know that Boise State ended up being favored at the end of that one at kickoff. And you know, Oklahoma State, I you know, they were surprisingly good, and that's kind of when we thought started thinking like maybe Oklahoma State's better this year than we all kind of thought, and then well, it turns out that wasn't the case. So in Big Twelve play, it's just I mean, they even allowed you know, they allowed Kansas to move the ball a decent amount and score some points against them in Lawrence. And I know Kansas is better than Kansas has been, but um, it, again, I agree. It's a defense that that Oklahoma should be able to have a lot of success against. Uh, let's just a couple individual players that I want to talk about. Uh, A.J. Green and Rodarius Williams, the two corners for Oklahoma State, they, they kind of remind me of Oklahoma's corners, honestly, Motley and Norwood. Uh, not, not so much Trey Brown. I think Trey Brown's a little bit better. But what I mean by this is that just Oklahoma State's guys, you know, every once in a while, you'll, they'll look kind of lost out there and you'll want to pull your hair out. But then they'll also they'll make some really nice plays and coverage and they'll look pretty good. I mean, they're pretty I guess they're inconsistent. Um, they're talent. There's talent there, but there's inconsistencies there in the secondary. Uh, and then the, the, the main guy I want to talk about, and I'm curious to see what your thoughts are. Jordan Brailford, Grant, how how? How much did he jump off the tape to you? Because Jordan Brailford, to me, is is pretty clearly the best player on the Oklahoma State defense. And the way they use him is incredibly unique. Yeah. Do you notice that? Yeah, I, he's a good player. I think he, you, I mean, physically, I, I, I recognize him playing. I, I think I think it's sort of a, a toss-up between him and Bundage as the best player on their defense. Uh, but, you know, yeah, he's he's fine. I, I don't, he's, he, I, I think he he's certainly one of their best players, but I mean, he doesn't, I'll be honest with you, Lee. I mean, yeah, he's, he's a good player, but no, he doesn't, he doesn't jump out at me like, uh, like the Collier guy from TCU did or, or even Banigou last year when he was going really well. I mean, Brelford's a nice player and he, 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 he's going to be a first team, all big 12 defense guy. He's a nice player. Well, what jumps out actually, it's, it's not necessarily after the snap, it's pre-snap and it's fascinating because it looks to me like Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator for Oklahoma State, just goes to Brailford and says, hey, man, uh, just go out there and just kind of do whatever you want. Because he'll line up in a bunch of different spots near and or around the line of scrimmage. Like he'll he'll be a stand-up defensive end or he'll put his hand in the ground and play defensive end. Or if he feels like it, it seems like he'll just he'll move back and he'll play middle linebacker or outside linebacker. It's like, it's what is this guy doing? I think I, I just I've never really seen a player do what he does. It's pretty unique. And, you know, normally you can you make the argument, oh, I mean, you know, Mark Jackson every once in a while will put his hand on the ground and then he'll play line. But, like, Mark Jackson's always on the edge. I mean, you'll see Brailford playing, like, middle linebacker. It's just, it's to me, it's a testament to it's just how smart he is as a player, I think. I think that Knowles is allowing him to kind of just do whatever he wants because he clearly is a student of the game. And I just, he's a nice player. I just, I, I like the, and so I don't know if that's going to allow them to maybe confuse, try to confuse Oklahoma. I'm sure they've been trying to confuse offenses all season long. It hasn't quite worked all that much. I mean, it worked against Boise State really well. Got a lot of pressure on Boise State. Got a lot of sacks in that I mean, game. It's, but uh, it's working. They yeah. do. They they lead the country in sacks as a team. Mm. Well, there you go. So I mean, they're. I, I don't think. I don't think they're like you know the best pass rushing team in the country by any stretch of the imagination. But I mean, when you 
But when you do lead the country in number of sacks, that's obviously significant. Yeah, do, let's see here, in sack rate, yeah, they're 14th in sack rate. So, I mean, they, they rush the passer really well. They, 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 they get a sack 9% of dropbacks. Wow, yeah, that's pretty good. And I, so, that, you know that that uh, might right, be well, good on them. that might be an adjusted number, but they're 14th in sack rate, so they're they're 14th in the country in the rate in which they sack the quarterback. And also, Jim Knowles, kind of similar to Texas Tech in a way, and by these numbers, they get pressure. They'll they'll send some guys. He'll disguise his blitzes decently. I mean, I saw some instances against Baylor where where they'll have like five or six guys near the line of scrimmage all kind of standing up. I mean, nobody with their hand in the ground, so you're kind of unsure of who's going to come from where. That's which, the stuff I like. I like that. Yeah. I, I, I think Knowles is a good defensive coordinator. I just don't think Oklahoma State has that many good players. All right. Uh, so, and you kind of already touched on it a little bit with running the football, perhaps, but uh, the next question I have for you is where can Oklahoma find – where do you think Oklahoma can find solid success against Oklahoma State's defense? Is it is it running the football? I it's, mean, it's running the football. I mean, that's the. I think I think this that's turning into the strength of this Oklahoma team, and that's just the blatant weakness of Oklahoma State's defense. Uh, going back, Lee, to the Baylor game, Lee Baylor had a fifty four percent success rate when they ran the ball against Oklahoma State, and, and I just noticed too, just not a whole lot of penetration by their defensive line over the course of the entire game. First, second, third, fourth quarter, just not really at all. Um, I, I think OU can run for 300 yards in this game if they want to, as long as they give the ball to their running backs enough. Yeah, I think running the football is also something that Oklahoma should be able to do successfully against Oklahoma State. I mean, Kansas State really hurt Oklahoma State on the ground, predominantly in the second half in Manhattan. And I know Kansas State, that's what they want to do is run it. Uh, you know, But Oklahoma runs the ball at an elite level, especially lately, and Oklahoma also has an elite passing game, as we all know. So, you know, you'd hope that Oklahoma State could potentially be on its heels for a lot of the afternoon on defense. That's what you. That's what you hope to see. And uh, so, yeah, I, I. And again, you got the corners. You got the secondary. The secondary is aggressive. They, they have some talent, but inconsistent. An inconsistent secondary. So Oklahoma should have some receivers running open too at times in this game. Yeah, Lee and I actually before I watched their game against Baylor, I saw I saw Baylor's just passing numbers in the game, and you know saw they did they didn't really have a lot of success throwing the ball. But then I watched the game. I didn't realize that McClendon played for ninety five percent of that game. They brought in Brewer for the last two drives, and he scored two touchdowns, and they won. Yeah. How, and what, again, I mean, McClendon was, again, those in the first half, even though the points weren't really there, I mean, McClendon was having a decent amount of success moving the ball down the field. I noticed they, they went away from the run a little too much. They did. They were they, they really were kind of, you know, biting off at least 3-4 every single time they ran the ball between the tackles. I, Oklahoma State or Baylor? Uh, Baylor was. Baylor. They, they threw it way too much with McClendon, I thought. And that's their offense. I mean, they're an offense, short passing game. I mean, what they... They they want to run like ninety to hundred plays a game, and you know they ended up. I mean, they ended up getting their best win of the season. So, anything else in this matchup? Oklahoma's offense versus Oklahoma State's defense? Not no. I I mean I I think this is we're going to see some similar stuff that we have all season long. I mean this is uh, we we said it last week, but it's going to be the same thing this week, Lee. The only the only the only team that can stop OU is OU in this situation. I am a little intrigued to see what kind of pressures that, that Knowles will be able to to, to draw up. Um, there's, there, there's kind of some thought in the, in the college football analytics community, but that that's how you get to Kyler Murray by dialing up pressure. 
I, I kind of disagree with that. I, I'm I'm more of the school of thought that if you try to pressure him, you're probably going to get burned pretty bad. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. I, I'm I'm really curious to see what, what sort of disguised uh, pressures that they're going to bring and drop. Uh, we'll see. I, I, I tend to think just because of Oklahoma's offensive line, they'll, they'll probably be able to handle it. All right. That time of the show where we say what we want to see happen and then also our predictions, what will happen. I'll go first, Grant, with what we want to see happen. and then Because uh, normally I think you go first, and I kind of add to it. So I'll, I'll go first, and I'll let you add to my list of things. On offense, it's simple. Uh, status quo. I want to see Oklahoma move the football and score on a defense that can be solid at times, but ultimately is a defense that's susceptible to big plays. That's the only thing on offense. On defense, I want to see some obvious attempts to alter Oklahoma State's offensive attack and get the Cowboys off schedule. I'd like to see the defensive back showing that they've watched plenty of film at Oklahoma State. I want to see Buki play in this game because, again, I think Oklahoma's secondary is better when Buki is out there. I want to see Oklahoma's run defense continue to shine since the transition to Ruffin McNeil in that four-man front. I want to see Oklahoma's defensive ends show discipline on the zone read plays that Taylor Cornelius will inevitably try. I will want to, uh, you know, I'll, I'm going to want to pull my hair out if Cornelius is picking up chunk yardage plays on multiple snaps because Kenneth Mann or Ronnie Perkins crashed inside to try and tackle Justice Hill and help out with the run. I mean, that's going to drive me crazy if we see that over and over again. So that's what I want to see happen uh, in this game. Grant, what about you? Lee, on defense, I want, th- I want to see them take space away from Tylen Wallace. That's a big one. If Tylen Wallace is making catches, I want him to work for it, and I don't want it to be with, with 8 to 10 yards of cushion. I think that's a big that's a big one because Oklahoma State Lee on tape has shown a propensity to take what you give them, especially with Tylen Wallace. And when when you do it when when you allow them to put the ball in, into his hands, you're just begging for trouble. So I, I would really like to see a defensive game plan that is really really heavy on trying to slow down Tylen Wallace. Um, and also Lee, I, I want to see pressure. I, I I really want them to blitz Cornelius quite a bit because I I think he will he will crumble in, in front of the pressure. And then going over the offensively, I want to see a, cons- a just a a large effort to get the run game going. I just I, Oklahoma State can't stop it. Don't get cute. That's what happened against Texas Tech. Run the freaking ball. All right, Grant. What's going to happen in this game, Oklahoma? Last checked as we record this on Wednesday night is a twenty point favorite. Yeah, and I think that's that's about right. I think that should be right. So, um, like, what were they last week in love? They were, I think, a thirteen and a half or fourteen and a half point favorite. Thirteen and a half. Yeah, and if they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have thrown two picks in their own territory. I think they they probably would have covered that spread. Lee, I I see sort of similar. I mean, unless unless OU turns it over and gives points to Oklahoma State, I, I see them winning by about three touchdowns. I. I I think kind of around the you know lines of like forty eight to twenty seven is sort of what I'm thinking. Oklahoma State's going to make some plays. I, I just I can't imagine that Tylen Wallace is not going to break off a couple huge plays in this game. Yeah, I think it's going to be closer than that uh, that twenty point spread. I I just I, my bubble was burst last week. Whenever you know, I was so confident that Oklahoma was going to cover that thirteen and a half points and cover it pretty easily. I mean, both of us had pretty big time scores. I mean large margin of victory wins and I know the offense put the defense in a bad spot I get it it's just I still didn't see what I wanted to see out of the defense Uh, I believe Lincoln Riley when asked about the defense on Monday he just said he said yeah we were okay 
not great, not terrible, somewhere in between on defense, which and he had the same way to describe the offense too. And I think that was that's that's true. I mean, I thought the defense was okay. I mean, it, it wasn't terrible, somewhere in between, but I wanted it to be better than that against a, a good a good offense. So the fact that we didn't see that, I don't think Oklahoma State's. Uh, you know, I it's I don't think it's as good of an offense as Texas Tech's. But I think what you said earlier is partly true. Is that if this Oklahoma State offense is is doing what they want to do, what it wants to do, it can be the best offense Oklahoma has seen. Um, I, there's no reason for me to think the game plan defensively will be better than the Texas Tech game plan. And this is a rivalry game, although I know that it's a pretty one-sided rivalry. Uh, but this is Oklahoma State's Super Bowl, man. I mean, they're still not bowl eligible. They have, what, three games left. I think they still have to play TCU, which, you know, they – they should beat TCU because TCU is incredibly injured. But you know, Oklahoma State loses this game. They're still trying to get bowl eligible. So they're going to be you know, wanting to pull out of the stops. I'm going to say it's going to be a high-scoring game. I don't have a good feel for it, but I, I, can't, I can't have total faith in the point spread being covered like I did last week just because I was a bit let down in the Texas Tech game. So I'm going to say Oklahoma wins this game, though, by two touchdowns, 52-38. to 38 is the final score all right so now let's move on to a normally we get to the big 12 games of the week and things like that but we have uh, one facebook question though to get to and this is uh, somewhat has something to do with grant's opening take because there's a there's a portion of this facebook question uh, i guess a portion of grant's opening take that's related to this question so benjamin on facebook wanted to uh, Wanted to, us to talk about this Maryland thing, everything going on with Maryland. And we got this question a week or two ago. So it was kind of around whenever DJ Durkin got fired. And so here's here's Benjamin's question. If, if you're interested in this, obviously listen in. If you're not interested in us talking about this, go ahead and fast forward uh, to our picks and cross them off, things like that. that we always have fun doing that. But we're going to talk briefly about this Maryland thing because I know Grant has a lot more thoughts on this than I do. And this honestly might be more of just Grant giving his thoughts on it. And I might have a couple things to throw in there. But anyways, Benjamin wants to know. This is from Facebook. Benjamin says, I'm curious to know if you gentlemen have any opinions on the recent events with Maryland, specifically involving the death of Jordan McNair, the firing of DJ, of DJ Durkin the day after he was reinstated, and the reports of very controversial coaching methods and a toxic culture. At Oklahoma, we are very privileged to have professionals that seem to take great pride in our football program by taking care of its athletes and turning them into strong men when they leave the school. I know it's not strictly Oklahoma-related, but it's important, I think, to perhaps see what Maryland does so wrong compared to what Oklahoma does so right, what Sooner culture does differently than other programs, and what Maryland can do now to save themselves from this PR nightmare. So I suppose there's not really... Uh, so yeah, he's just he's asking about our opinions. And Grant, I know that you have you have some opinions and thoughts on this, so I'll open the floor to you. What do you think about all of this stuff? Well, so a lot of this for me is is just going to kind of come down to personal opinion. Kind of the old the old boy, the old school method of of yelling, shouting, uh, trying to do that to motivate your players, I think is is garbage. I think that's just an awful awful way to coach. Uh, that doesn't mean that it used to not be. I, I think you know that was a that was a different a different method for a different generation and kids these days are just a lot different. So first of all, my, my opinion on that matter is, and you can go read the report and whatnot, but, but really what the, what the problem was, there's just the, the culture of Maryland football was that of, was that of fear. 
um, if you if you mess up, you you are you are going to be verbally berated in front of your teammates. You're gonna you're gonna have your your masculinity questioned, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, always shouting in your face, stuff like that. And and the big problem that went with that at Maryland was also the strength and conditioning coach, um, who who was the one who was there when the when the player died during offseason conditioning. And you know, reportedly he was he was just a very intense guy, always got into people's faces, always trying to push people to the next the next level, which is you know part of sort of what a strength coach does, but obviously went a little too far when you're when you're killing a kid. Um, so so first of all. I just I completely repudiate that entire method of coaching, um, and and this comes from someone who has coached. I, I've coached kids for you know, five years of my life, and it's just I never once did I ever think about screaming at them or getting in their face. And I I, I don't understand that. I don't understand how how somebody, especially with kids, who I'm assuming both of these both of these guys have kids, um, how they can feel comfortable treating kids like that. I, I I don't like it. I think it's garbage, and I hate it. Um. Kind of go into you know where and you oh, coach baseball just to be clear. I, I not coach football. I coach baseball, yeah, and so obviously very different sports. And I know I, I know football is a tough sport, and when you're out there, it's war, and it's it's physical and it's tough on your body. I I completely understand that. Um, having that been said, there's a different way to do it, and I think this generation of kids uh, just does not does not react well to the yelling and the screaming. And I think this, this goes back to something that Mike Stoop said because he's kind of kind of caught and I, I think in that old boy mentality as well, um, where he, I think he made the comment sort of right before around he got fired where he said, you know, kids these days when they're getting yelled at, they, they want to know why they're getting yelled at. They, they want to know why they're they're having to do something, um, presumably meaning that that wasn't necessarily always a given back in back in the day. Um, and so if anybody really followed this program uh, before Benny Wiley came in as strength and conditioning coach, um, there, there's maybe some, some evidence to suggest that when Jerry Schmidt was here, this sort of thing was a problem at Oklahoma. And that's why he's not here right now. So I, I did want to kind of throw that out there. And I, I think that probably jives a lot more with, uh, with uh, how Lincoln Riley is as a coach. Um, he's obviously more of a player's coach. He doesn't seem like a guy who gets, you know, who gets too high or too low at times. Um, you see him, you see him yelling sometimes on the sideline, but I don't think he comes off as a guy who during practice is going to get in your face and, and question your manhood if you make a mistake or something like that. So, um, mostly I just, the reason why I, I let off with this in my opening take today was just because the whole situation makes me sad. I, I, I don't, I, I just, I really don't get it. I, I don't understand that culture of thinking, yelling and screaming at these people. This is the best way to motivate these guys. It makes absolutely no sense to me. And honestly, I'm just kind of, I'm sad for the kids who committed to play at Maryland under DJ Durkin. And there's absolutely no way they would have known that the, the culture was going to be like that when they committed. Because if they did, they wouldn't, there wouldn't be any players there, I, I don't think. So, um, I, I thought it was just an overall, just a really sad thing. And, and every time that story came up this year, especially because a, a kid died, a young kid died, and you start to think about how I mean, his parents and how they they entrusted their kid to DJ Durkin and his and his staff, um, and they mentally and physically abused the kid to the point where he died. Um, and that's just not that's not okay to me. And so and now it goes back into um, what the what what the Maryland administration did. You know they. 
they originally decided they were going to keep on DJ Durkin. And I'm sure there was a whole lot of stuff that went into that. I, I can't believe it was as simple as them just thinking, oh, we don't think he did anything wrong and we're evil people. We're going to keep him. That's not at all what went into it. I'm sure what happened there is that they were just thinking probably a little too hard about it. Um, I, I would guess probably a buyout came, you know, came into the equation there and they didn't feel like they maybe wanted to pay him there. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think they did make the right decision by by firing him. But I think it's pretty weak on the administration that it took public outcry for you know for you to fire him. And then I think Tim Tebow came out a couple days later and, and ripped Maryland's administration, saying you 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 know you had the guts to make this controversial this controversial decision, but you didn't you know have the conviction to stay with him. I, I thought that was a good point by Tim Tebow as well. That you know you you make this really stupid decision, yet you don't even have the balls to stick with it. Um, so I think just, just a really bad situation altogether. And and I, geez, part of me just, I, I, part of me can definitely envision Maryland's football program just completely collapsing from this because who's going to want to play football there now? Mm. You look at Oklahoma too. I, I know the one, the, one of the, the, the consistent things that I always hear when it comes to Oklahoma and trying to kind of maybe, because, because Benjamin was curious, you know, trying to relate it to Oklahoma and how things at, o- at OU is just nothing like this has happened. I mean, I suppose you can point to, I mean, you can point to the Joe Mixon thing. Uh, that was, I think that was poorly handled. Uh, I mean, nobody died, but I mean, a, a girl was punched and, you know, Joe, I mean, Joe Mixon was basically, basically he, he, he redshirted and got suspended, you know, and so that, that wasn't great. But what I was going to say though is, you know that athletic directors are direct. Well, I kind of gave it away. Athletic departments need a, a leader. I know Joe Casiglione is very highly regarded, and he's been here, you know, for uh, I, I honestly don't even know how long he's been. I know he's it was before Bob Stoops came on. So I mean, it's been twenty. I think maybe Bob Stoops is one of maybe the big big first hire of Casiglione. I don't, you might know more about that. Ninety eight, I, I think, is when he okay. when he got hired. At and, OU. I, and and I should know that. And I it's it's pretty ridiculous that I don't for sure. And I I know I should, but. Um, I'm sure Joe Casiglione has a lot to do with Oklahoma as a as an athletic program. You know, all their coaches and everything. There's nothing like this really going on. Again, I know the Nixon thing was not good. Wasn't anything like the the Maryland thing, obviously. So I I think Casiglione probably deserves some credit for for the culture. And I mean, he's got to hire these these people. And I mean, gotta give a lot of credit to Bob Stoops as well. I mean, he was able to steady that program and turn it into an elite powerhouse after it had been through a lot of bad stuff, uh, you know, in, in the 90s and not winning games and just it was uh, – culture wasn't great back then from what I understand, and and Bob Stoops re- resurrected it. And he obviously deserves a lot of the credit as well. Um, but when it comes to the reports, and I, you had done a little more research on this than me. I kind of looked up. I was – I just – knowing that we talk about this, just – I found this ESPN article, and I mean, this is pretty highly sourced. I mean, the ESPN article says, and this was back in, I think, October when this came out. Or no, I'm sorry, August. This is before the season. So they sourced two current Maryland players, multiple people close to the football program, and former players and football staffers spoke to ESPN about the culture. And just just some of the stuff they, they highlight here, and I know you kind of, you said general stuff, but I mean, just specifically, I mean, 
said there was a coaching environment based on fear and intimidation. One example was a player holding a meal while in a meeting had the meal slapped out of his hands in front of the team. At other times, small weights and other objects were thrown in the direction of players when when the strength coach was angry. Which I know you're not supposed to laugh at that, but that kind of that kind of sounds funny. Uh, but there's there's way worse though. I mean, the just belittling people, humiliating people. Some of these things are just doesn't make any sense to me. It says in one example. A player whom coaches wanted to lose weight was forced to eat candy bars as he was made to watch teammates working out. I don't understand that. I mean, they like, wanted to lose seriously. Weight. I mean, what? That's like, that's from the mind of someone who is depraved and disturbed. I mean, and and presumably from an adult. An adult's making like, and this kind of and there's there's other stuff. I mean, verbal abuse. Um, let's see. Coaches, uh, coaches have endorsed unhealthy eating habits and used food, punit- used food punitively. For example, a player said he was forced to overeat or eat to the point of vomiting. I just, I, I that's just so dumb. It's it's so use useless. And this, I don't know. I mean, I never played college football. I mean, I. Oh, I can I, guarantee I of, you they would yeah. they would defend it by saying we are trying to toughen them up or some garbage like that. Yeah, I just and you know that I I think of when I hear stuff like this, I think of back to like the Greek system and like fraternities and things like that and just hazing in general. And I've all and, and I know hazing happens in sports and it's it's a little more taboo now as it should be. I think it, it should have never been a thing. I think hazing is one of the most ridiculous, stupid things ever because I don't understand what is how does how do teams build character and how do people want to play for each other whenever you're humiliating each other or uh, hurting each other or embarrassing each other that makes zero sense to me that doesn't build character Uh, that it just it doesn't make any sense and I I think I'm lucky enough to where in my athletic life I played junior college baseball uh, you know everyone there is you know sophomores and freshmen so there's not like any big time upperclassmen there's no hazing involved with that I mean everyone was there for two years so that there's nothing. We never even thought about it. Never even came up uh, in high school for football. I was I got I was fortunate enough to play on the varsity team when I was a sophomore, and there wasn't. I mean, I guess I can think back to stuff now that technically was hazing, but it wasn't a big deal. Like there was a time where, before the season, we would all get together at one of the captains' house, and you know I was one of the youngest guys on the team, and like they did this thing where like with a pool table, it was like a goofy thing where like I didn't know what's going on, and like it, you like you know like the little like triangle that racks the pool balls, like you. It was like some stupid thing where I'm messing with it, and I the whole point is that like I I'm like doing something and like trying to like win a game or something, and then you end up like flipping it around and like it hits my like it hits you like in the head, and you're they're like oh ha ha you know like whatever like that was like stupid. It was like a little bit of a prank, but like that was like it, like that. I mean, there's no hazing at all there. I mean, like there was nothing on the football field. Like, it was just heck, I remember one time like. One of the the captains on the team after practice like left his pads and was like, "Hey, okay, take my pads in." And I was like, "Yeah, of course, I'm happy to do that. You're really good, and I look up to you because you're a nice player." And thinking back, like, "Oh, I guess that's some people would probably call that hazing because I carried a guy's pads." You know, it's like, whatever. Like, I was happy to do it. I mean, he was a he was a really good player and a nice guy for the most part. So yeah, I just I've never understood it. And when it gets into a program and that coaches think this way and adults think this way it just blows my mind it just blows my mind and it it makes you think back like think back when you were a kid 
You know, you think you think of adults as like, oh, they're adults. They're smart. Every adult's smart. They know stuff. Well, and you, you grow up and, you know, I'm in my 30s and you're almost 30. And it's like you realize, uh, no, adults are still stupid. They're, they're still dumb. And uh, this is a, a, a situation of just, yeah, it, it's sad. I mean, you said it's sad. It's sad. And the fact that somebody died is just absolutely horrible. It's so horrible. And there's not much else. There's words can't really put it in. Uh, you can't really say anything about it because it's just like somebody died. And it's football. It's not that important in the grand scheme of things. And somebody died. So, and I know the medical staff is a whole other issue. Like they maybe they weren't prepared for a heat stroke, and it took them a while. And that maybe, not maybe, probably also led to him dying too. And I don't know enough about that really to comment um, strongly on it too. But it's just it's everything just seemed like it failed, and it's. It's tough, and it's it's fortunate that nothing like this obviously has happened in Oklahoma, and it's fortunate that this stuff doesn't really happen in most places. I mean, this was this, there's a reason why this was such a big news story because it's pretty it was a rare event. Yeah, one of my one so, of my follow up questions just from this whole controversy is how many other programs in the country have have cultures similar to this? Yeah, that's that's a good point because um, I mean there's there's really no way to know unless people come out and say stuff. So. Um, and, and I know there there were always you know rumors about Jerry Schmidt being a pretty tough guy, but never anything to that to that level. Um, so I the whole thing is 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 just I, I think a, a really big black mark on on college football. And and I thought it was I just thought it was the appropriate thing to to start with on the show as, as to why this season has been so bad because really when you think about it, Lee, this stuff, this stuff, the urban Meyer stuff, all this stuff broke in August. And I think it just set the stage for what's been just a, a dark cloud of a college football season. All right. We're running a little short on time tonight. So let's move on uh, big 12 games briefly. We're not going to have any of these games for our picks. Uh, let's see the most interesting matchup. I think uh, Texas at Texas tech, Texas is a two point favorite. I saw Alan Bowman is going to rejoin the team this week. I don't know if that means he's going to be able to play, but if Alan Bowman's able to play and he's, you know, he actually made it through the game, I mean, that makes that game pretty interesting because Texas Tech's got a real offense. They're at home again. And, uh, I mean, Texas is a, as a favorite doesn't play as well. I and mean, I know Texas is coming off a loss, but uh, that's a pretty interesting matchup. Uh, the other games, though, are pretty, should be big margins potentially. I mean, Baylor goes to Iowa State. Iowa State needs to keep winning to, Keep help, helping to boost Oklahoma's resume. Uh, Kansas, Kansas State, and uh, TCU at West Virginia. So those are the four Big Twelve matchups. Any thoughts on any of those games, Grant? I don't. I don't really know how to handicap the Texas Texas Tech game because I don't know who's going to start at quarterback. If if Jet Duffy starts, I, I got to think Texas is the is the prohibitive favorite to win that game. But if but if Bowman plays, I think it gives him a chance. I just can't imagine that he's gonna he's gonna play. You know, a week after his his lung recollapsed. In fact, I just I that's a really yeah, that's a really serious injury, isn't it? I don't you got yeah, don't I, don't you got to sit him for a little bit just so it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Especially I mean he he sat out he sat out some games and then it just it happened again against OU and he got hit weird, I guess, or got hit. And I and so, I mean yeah. I I want him to play. I I want Texas to lose. I hate Texas. So, but I mean I just kid's a freshman. He's got he's got a lot of college football ahead of him. I think you know Texas Tech's got some winnable games coming up to get to bowl eligibility. Sit the guy. Make sure he's healthy and make sure you're not putting him in and maybe like a life-threatening situation. That's scary. 
Next up, let's cross them off. This this game, uh, this segment's a lot more fun in the early going parts of the college football season. Now we're at the end of it, where it's like you know it's, you can pretty it's pretty easy to cross certain teams off. So I mean, obviously LSU lost its second game. You crossed them off. Great, you already had them crossed off, so you're ahead of the head of the curve on LSU. And uh, so I mean, I guess I could add LSU to my list, but you know what's the point? I, I don't have anybody other than LSU to cross off. Do you have anybody, Grant? No, I think I think it may be it may be time to maybe retire this because I think we're like we're at the point right where I, there's only there's really only like seven or eight teams that even have a chance to make the playoff at this point. Yeah. Um. So this 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 might be this is probably over. This is probably uh, over. I think I think obviously my list was a lot better than yours because I I nailed some teams <laughs> a lot a lot earlier than you did. Uh, well, I still have Michigan on my list, and I'm still not going to cross them. Uh, I probably should uncross them off considering the top four. I just I still don't think they're going to be able to win it all. But are like are we? But, uh, is this? It, did we decide? Was it all about who's going to win it all or who can make the playoff? Because yeah, who can make the playoff? Because yeah. if, if if that's the case, honestly, like I'm. I'm at the point now where I'm pretty close to being okay with crossing off everybody but Alabama and Clemson, if that's the case. Yeah. Uh, I mean, speaking of the playoff, the the new rankings came out Tuesday. I just maybe it's because of the election this week. So like, I was I was pretty interested in that just because that's you know whatever. Uh, but I, I honestly didn't pay that close of attention and to the college football playoff rankings. I, I, I saw them come out. I saw them I was like, okay, that's pretty much what I expected. And then you just kind of move on. I just don't see the point at, at this junction, juncture, junction, juncture to have any strong thoughts on the college football playoff rankings. I mean, do you have any, I mean, other than just those, the ACC teams, the three that I mentioned in my opening take that are all in the top 20 who are, who I don't even think are top 25 caliber teams. Um, but really, it's understandable why they're why they're there. There's just no one else to put there. The, the committee is ranking teams by wins and losses when they get to that point in the in the rankings. And there's there's some teams in the middle of the ACC or at the top of the ACC who have who have not played anybody nor nor beaten anybody and have lost to any team they've played with a pulse. Uh, but yet, you know, they've they only have two losses, so they're ranked in the top 25. I and mean, I can see. That that's the mediocrity that we're dealing with in college football this year. I mean, there's there's a lot of mediocrity in that top twenty five. And you can make the argument if you're not happy about it, like, oh, they're they're artificially inflating Clemson's resume by putting all these ACC teams in the top twenty five. It doesn't matter. And, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter because they're not Clemson's lose. really good. I mean, Clemson's like they don't need it. That's the thing. It's like I, I would complain if Clemson wasn't obviously awesome. I mean, they've gotten so much better. In the last month, <laughs> Trevor oh, Lawrence sir. is just is so much better than Kelly Bryant. Like I mean, oh, it's my just gosh. and so like and last year and, and, and they're, they're also not playing anybody. I mean, yeah. to be fair to Kelly Bryant, I mean, Ke- you know, if Kelly if Trevor Lawrence would have played the majority of that game against Texas A and M, I don't. I mean, maybe he doesn't play that well. You know, I mean, that was a great game. Yeah, you can argue A and M probably should have won that game. Yeah, I mean, that was probably Kelly Bryant's best game of his career. I mean, he. Yeah. He actually played pretty darn well in that game. Yeah. And, and if so, if, if everyone remembers last year, kind of right, right around this time too, um, I was getting pretty heated with, with with the with the rankings because I thought they were artificially trying to boost Clemson's resume. Um, and and I thought I thought last year I thought Clemson was a paper tiger last year, and if, you know it it it, sh- it showed you know showed up in the playoff when they got embarrassed by Alabama. Um, and that's why I thought I thought Oklahoma should have been the number one team in the playoff last year at the beginning of the season, or at you know, um, over Clemson, and they weren't. 
Um, and so, and so, you know, that's why we kind of beat the drum last year. But this year, it, it doesn't matter. There's just there's no one close to Clemson on their schedule. They ain't losing, so it doesn't matter. They're going to be the two seed in the playoff. You know, behind Alabama. One uh, one quick note before we move on to the picks this week. By the way, Grant had an uh, an excellent week picking games a week uh, a week ago. I I saw on the five thirty eight. You know, it's that time of the year we bring the five thirty eight playoff predictor little machine thing out where you can kind of select different things and say hey if, if they win all their games what's their percentage chance to make the playoff something pretty interesting today i i went to it and i got tipped off i saw somebody t- tweeting about this so i went to it and if you plug in bama clemson notre dame michigan and ou all five of those teams just to win out nobody loses the rest of the way it gave oklahoma the third best chance of, of those five teams at making the playoff Right behind Bama and Clemson. Interesting. So for whatever reason, that 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 computer is not weighting Michigan very high. And in fact, when I took Michigan out and then said that if Ohio State wins out, so obviously that would mean that Ohio State would beat Michigan, uh, it actually it weighted Ohio State's chances to make the playoff better than Michigan's chances if Michigan wins out. Still, uh, still not as good as Oklahoma's, but but a lot closer to Oklahoma's. So, I mean, that is interesting. I don't know. I, I think yeah. the conventional wisdom is that I think a lot of people think that there's no way OU could jump Michigan, but I don't know. I, I haven't really looked at their, their resume that much. I mean, their, their best win is probably, is probably Penn state or at Michigan state. Um, and you know, I, I suppose if they were in a big 10 championship game, it would not be a particularly impressive win over a Northwestern team. Um, so I don't know. I mean, if OU could could beat you know a nine and one West Virginia on the road and then turn around and beat them again the next week in a Big Twelve championship game, you, you could OU mate might you know have an argument there. But I think they'd have to be really impressive doing so. I'm not holding my breath at all. Yeah, yeah. So I just want to throw that out there. I thought that was a bit interesting. All right, let's go to the picks. And Grant, you were four and one last week, so congratulations. I think I'm I think I'm kind of starting to get a feel for the season. Oh, are you? Guy getting a feel in week eleven. Yeah, I know. I'm not, uh, oh, I mean, it was. I've been awful this year. I, I have not been able to get a feel for this year at all. I think I've. I finally have. There's just. There's some good teams, and there's a lot of me, a lot of mediocre teams. Pre- pretty simple. Right, I was. Uh, I was two and three last week. Didn't do well. Grant's beat me on the on the season record. Uh, twenty five and twenty on the season. That's pretty good. I mean, you're plus five. And I'm a uh, 22 and 23, so I'm just I'm right below 500, so not not great. I mean, but you know what? I, I gotta say we're we're not. If if somebody listened to this podcast every single week and bet all of our games, we're not we're not losing people much money. In fact, in, in theory, if uh, I guess it depend it would depend on what you're betting. Are you betting Grant more or betting me more? But uh, anyways, so five games this week, and you mentioned earlier the slate's not great. We'll start. In the Big Ten, 11 o'clock kick on Saturday. Ohio State is laying three and a half points at Michigan State. Grant, Ohio State's defense is, is troubling. It's giving up a lot of yards, more yards than you'd think. Will it give up a lot of yards to Michigan State, an offense that struggles and I'm pretty sure still has some some injury issues? I, you got three in that hook. I. I'm I'm gonna lean Ohio State laying the three and a half points even with all the the bad juju and they almost lost in Nebraska and you know still Ohio State still has something to play for 
And um, I just I don't trust Michigan State. I've already been burned by them like two or three times this season. So naturally, if I, when I go against them here, I'll probably get burned by the opposing team. But I'm going to lean Ohio State minus three and a half. I also lean Ohio State. I just, yeah, that their close call against Nebraska last week was really weird. But, you know, I mean, Ohio State does have, they have the feel of a program and a team that's kind of crumbling under the pressure right now. There's a lot of distractions, especially with Urban Meyer. I don't think he's going to be back next year, Lee. Um, I, I don't, him, him coming out and talking and going into detail about his health issues that he's been dealing with in his life, that's his... That that's his out card right there. I think I think he's going to be gone after this year. Um, you know, I just I I just don't think Michigan State's very good, and that's why I lean Ohio State. Brian Lewerke sucks. He's terrible, and so I just I don't. Ohio State has struggled when when teams have been able to take advantage of you know of their secondary, and Lewerke can't. I'm sorry, but he can't. So. Um, I mean, the hope for Michigan State is to be able to run the ball with, uh, what was his name, L.J. Smith or Connor? The hope for Michigan State is what it always is. L.J. Scott, sorry. They have to to force the other team into mistakes. That's how they win games. So, I mean, if if Ohio State plays a clean game, they're going to win by two touchdowns. I guess Michigan State's playing a guy named Connor Hayward because L.J. Scott's had some injury problems. So, uh, I I don't know. Uh, So, yeah, okay, so we're both – usually I write this in. So, we're both on – or both? Did you say you're leaning? Or do you like Ohio State? I lean Ohio State just because I don't know, kind of what their what their mindset is. They they do have the feel of a team that's that's maybe trying to collapse a little bit, and I hope they don't because they really need to beat Michigan. I yeah I agree. Next up, two thirty kick. Go to the SEC. Mississippi State at Alabama. Mississippi State is number sixteen in the country right now. Bama, of course, is number one, and the Tide at home is laying twenty three and a half points, and I don't think it's enough. I will, I will gladly lay that number and take Alabama because I just don't know how Mississippi State scores points in this game. Lee, I think this is maybe the best team that Alabama has played this year. Um. But they're still. It's because they have they have a really good defense. That's why. And I, I just I don't. I don't think Mississippi State can score on Alabama. I, yeah, take Bama and, and the. I mean, it's it's going to be a ho hum. They'll they'll win like forty two to fourteen or something like that. Actually, Mississippi Mississippi State's not is not scoring fourteen points. I. This game's going to be such an impossible game to watch. Take Alabama. If Alabama, want, if Alabama wants to shut out Mississippi State, they'll shut out Mississippi State. I like Alabama. I mean, they, they, I mean, they wanted to shut out LSU, and they did. I mean, if they want to shut out Mississippi State, they will. So we each – I also like Alabama. So we, we both like Bama. Um, let's see. I'm typing it in so I can remember this for the next week, next the- week of shows. And and the wor- one of the worst things is too is even if they even if by like a, an act of God if they were to slip up it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if they slip up they they have a mulligan it's just it's 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 frustrating I know it's almost like you don't even want them to lose just because they're locked in they're, oh they exactly take- yeah, yeah yeah you want them to just yeah just keep going it's it's a lot a lot smoother a lot easier that way next game let's go to the Pac twelve Washington State eighth ranked team in the country. Ugly win over Cal at home last week, taking on Colorado in Boulder. Washington State's laying six points. Grant, coming off an ugly win over Cal, 
I actually like Washington State minus six in this game. What about you? Ooh, I do too. Crap, we've been we, we've been just straight down the line the same. Yeah. And I don't. Well, I, you're kind of hot right now, so I think it's good for me. Yeah, I. I mean, Washington State's a good team. I, I like them. I don't. I don't think they're a great team by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I mean, Colorado is also not particularly impressive. I, I, I do like Wazoo. I think they're, they're going to win the Pac-12 probably. Here's the thing. Wazoo did not cover against Cal, and I had them to cover. I think it was a 10.5 point spread. They could have covered that game. I don't know how much you watch, but they had a, a pick six. They were oh, running that back. They a, dropped. Yeah. And the dude fumbled it, and then a, a, a Wazoo player jumped on it in the end zone and had it, and then lost it, and it went out of the back of the end zone for a touchback. And I believe that would have made it a 10-point game with the extra point. And they still would have needed to score one more time, get a stop and score again just to, you know, to cover. But that would have, I mean, I think that would have kind of killed and crushed Cal's dreams because, I mean, Wazoo's, Wazoo's defense is good. And it's, it's nice to see. It's, they play an aggressive style of defense but a smart defense. And with a, an air raid Mike Leach offense, it's, it's very interesting that, that Washington State's able to have a pretty good defense too. You know who you know who Washington State's defensive coordinator is, Lee? Uh, no. Former Minnesota Golden Gopher head coach Tracy Clays. Wow, that's shocking. Yeah, he was the uh, he was the uh, he he took over after Jerry Kill retired because of his seizures. Um, and he wasn't he, he kind of forced out or because of all the weird stuff that went on at Minnesota. Yeah, like, he went he went eight and four in his one year there, um, and they ended up winning the Holiday Bowl, and he got fired at the end of the season because that was when um, there was kind of like the the gang rape allegations or whatever, and they had you know six guys get suspended for that, and they they threatened to to not play in the bowl game. Yeah, that was all under his watch. He got fired. All right, two more games left. Back to the SEC, Auburn at Georgia. Georgia laying two touchdowns at home. And I, I got to tell you, Grant, I, I like Georgia laying the points. I think Auburn stinks. Auburn should have lost to Texas A&M last week. That offense is just horrible. And Georgia still has a lot to play for. I mean, Georgia can still make the playoff if they can run the table and then obviously beat Alabama in the, the SEC title game. And we're in the same spot we were last year with both Georgia and Bama making the playoff. So Georgia's got a lot to play for. I think Auburn, again, is not very good. I know they their defense is okay. Uh, but I'm comfortable laying that the, the two touchdowns. I, I like Georgia in this one. What about you? I'm just going to switch it up a little bit because I feel like we're probably going to be on the same beat on this last game. I lean Auburn. Um, and, yeah, I, I think Auburn kind of stinks too. But their defense is very good. Um, and Georgia at times this year has struggled with creativity on their offense. Um, and you know, I, I, I like Georgia to win, but you know, some, somewhere along the lines of like 31 to 21 or something like that. All right. And finally, uh, Clemson at Boston college, the big primetime game on ABC game days going to, Oh, where's, where's Boston college located? I heard it earlier today. Chestnut Hill. Chestnut Hill sounds picturesque in early to mid-November. Clemson laying 20 points, so the same line. Clemson minus 20, Oklahoma minus 20 over Oklahoma State. Uh, granted, Boston College is ranked, but I, you know, Oklahoma State's a better it. team than Boston College. I say who? Yeah, who knows? I mean, so uh, yeah, I, I, there's zero chance I'm taking Boston College. I, I, I know it's on the road, but Clemson is just killing everybody and. I'm going to use the same principle that I, I used a few weeks ago that I ended up going against when it came down to it. 
uh, Clemson's schedule is not great, and Clemson knows that when it plays certain teams, I, mean, I guess Grant at this point, all they got to do is win out and they're in. They kind of probably know that too, but still, I think they want to impress the committee. So when they played NC State, it was the first ranked team they played all year, and they just killed NC State because they, they knew, okay, we got to get a, a nice statement win here. I think this is the, the second ranked team they played now, technically with Boston College, and it's on the road. They don't have a good, let's see, was that game? No, I, th- I think the NC State game was actually at Clemson. I th- eh, maybe not. I can't remember. It was but, at Clemson. Uh, anyways, it was at Clemson. Okay. So this is like the first like road ranked opponent. Uh, I think Clemson. I just it's their defense is too too good. Their offense is really good. It's so I'm going to lay the twenty points. I like Clemson to cover that, even though it's twenty points. What about you? I mean, they did go to College Station and play Texas A&M on the road. So well, that was back before A&M was ranked. But yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I mean, I know what you mean. Uh yeah, no, I like yeah. I, I like Clemson. They're going to name their score. They're going to win by as many points as they want. All right. Wow, this is the most likes I've ever had in this segment. Usually I'm leaning a lot. So uh, hopefully that means good things for the pocketbook this week. All right. Enjoy Bedlam. That's it for today. We'll be back on Monday to break it all down. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.